When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. We are joined, as always, today by our super producer, uh, Dylan Fagan, and we'll give him a nickname toward the end. We'd also like to introduce our new super producer, Tristan McNeil. Tristan. Shift and Tristan. Shift and Tristan. That yeah, rhymes. It works. Yeah, you know? maybe. We'll see. But it uh, doesn't really flow with today's topic. It doesn't really flow with today's topic. It just sort of floats out there in the aether, you know, yeah, un- unsurveilled by us. But uh, but watching, what am I doing with this terrible segue? <laughs> That's what not a- terrible. <laughs> that was really bad, Scott. Uh, so-so. <clears throat> I'm introducing an idea that we've talked about a little bit in the past, but never really drilled into, and that is the concept of surveillance blimps. Yeah, now we've had a couple of episodes in the past that have dealt with uh, some related topics, I suppose. Mm-hmm. If you want to look back at Car Stuff episodes from, uh, well, going back six years now. So in August of 2011, we had the rise and fall of airships, which we went uh, pretty in-depth into uh, what they're all about. You know, mm-hmm. And I think in that case, it was more toward... Um, passengers, you know, more toward um, transportation. Sure, it was a means of transit. Yeah, and I think, I'm sure we touched on military applications as well. I haven't listened to that whole episode again recently, so uh, you have to you know, don't beat me up too bad on that one if it's not exactly <laughs> that. But uh, we also had another one that was called, um, this one is tangentially related, I guess, Surveillance Vehicles. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was back in uh, April of 2016, so that's relatively recent, uh, just a little bit more than a year ago. And that one, I like that one a lot. We got a lot of response uh, from the surveillance vehicles episode because um, a lot of people, well, a surprising number of people, uh, that's kind of their day job you know, when they listen to us. So maybe they're yeah. in the car right now uh, operating a surveillance, uh, what do you call that, a stakeout, right? Maybe they're mm-hmm. in a stakeout right yeah. now listening yeah. to this podcast, not watching what's going on around them. But uh, <laughs> That's true. Terrible movie, by the way. We also talked about, I just want to put in a side note here because... This was by far my my favorite part of those past episodes. We also talked about the USS Akron and the Macon, which are these. If you haven't heard the episode, um, I think oh, do we do this in Rise and Fall of Airships? Uh, maybe. Um, they're these they're these blimps that are motherships, and they carry smaller planes, or past tense, they carried smaller planes. Just to give you a sense of scale, because I, I just looked this up maybe twenty minutes ago before we walked in here. All right, so so it's in a note here. Okay, here it is. A Boeing 747 is about 232 feet long. Now, we all know the Boeing 747. It's a giant plane, the double-decker plane, huge. When you see it at the airport, even among other planes, you think, man, that's a big plane. (laughs) So 232 feet long. The USS Akron was 785 feet long. That's incredible. That's more than three times. That's about three times the length. Yeah. Three and a half or something like and that. And it carried these things called Sparrowhawks. And Sparrowhawks were these small biplane looking fighter craft. But when we say small, we mean tiny. And the pilots would unhook from a, uh, from literally a hook hanging oh. off the bottom of oh. the airship. Yeah, this looks so scary when it happens. Cause there's film of this happening. Yeah. And it's scary. It's scary film. But, uh, but you should check it out for sure. You know, we should point out that this isn't like the birth of, of surveillance or of, of um, blimps or zeppelins used in surveillance, though. Right. It goes back to the Civil War. 
Yes, yeah, this is a little-known part of Civil War history, is the use of balloons for reconnaissance. Now, check me if I'm wrong, Ben. Is that the, is that the first application of, well, military application that you've heard of, or were there previous versions of it? I, I, I'm, un, I'm unaware of anything before the Civil War. It's a little bit murky, because after a certain point, that, that technology, right, the, mm-hmm. um, the idea of creating a balloon that can carry a person or a thing... Uh, that technology is pretty old, and we can figure out parts of we can figure out places in time and space where someone came up with the idea, but it's a little bit difficult to conclusively say someone came up with it first. Well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot at all. I mean, by any means, but I, the first real military application that I could come up with was the Civil War, and it was something called the um, the Union Army Balloon Corps, uh-huh. and they had seven balloons. I think they used six of them eventually, but strictly reconnaissance, and, and it's strange to think about this, but this is more like a, a traditional hot air balloon shape, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, made of often made of silk. I think there were other materials that were used as well. Um, primarily or originally just from the Union Army, and then later the Confederate Army had to kind of um, you know counteract this with, with their own balloon corps, but it didn't really go so well. They had some real problems with their balloon uh, balloon uh, applications, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe the way they used them. It's strange to think, though, that you could just float in this. Now, it was a tethered balloon, typically. There was a free free flight version of this, and there's also a tethered balloon version of this where mm-hmm. uh, you know they could just reel it back in. But it's strange to think that they were unreachable. By, uh, you know, other, other, um, I guess by the munitions that were used yeah, by the other yeah, side. By the armaments w- of the yeah, time. It's strange. So the way that they would, uh, uh, the only way they could really do this was to dig a trench behind a cannon and angle it up in order to hopefully get the right trajectory to hit this balloon, but it was going to appear and then disappear and then reappear somewhere else. So there's no way to really consistently set up for, you know, taking down this reconnaissance balloon. And that's what it was primarily used for, is reconnaissance. And I think there was a later version that would allow them to, uh, it was a heavier, uh, bigger balloon, but it allowed them to take a, um, a telegraph machine up, you know, so they could send down Morse code of what they were seeing on the battlefield. Oh, wow. Uh, because prior to that, they were using flags uh, mm. as kind of like a system. Semaphore of, system. Yeah, semaphore system, that's what it's called. And uh, and they would, you know, send down the message of, of you know, what they're seeing on the uh-huh. battlefield. And, uh, you know, that's not a great way to do it, but it's the best that they had at the time. And it's still better than uh, people on the ground attempting to figure stuff out. Well, yeah, because you're getting this incredible vantage point that, you know, no one on your side or the the opposing side at the time had. And and you can see some amazing photos of these these uh, the, um, uh, these balloons, I guess you call them the, uh, oh, what, what were the name of them? Um Oh, there's a certain name for it. I think one was Intrepid that uh-huh. it had written on the side of it. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, that's the most famous one I think that you see. It was the guy, the guy that created this. I think his name was Lowe, and that was his his favorite balloon to use. So uh, that's often the one you'll see in the Civil War photos. So what you'll probably hear about, and I know I matrix dodged the question about the the first balloon stuff. Um, what you'll probably hear this stuff traced back to would be France in 1783. However. We don't have to spend much time on this because there's a we have a different show stuff they don't want you to know that's about these sorts of things. However, there are competing theories about uh, indep- inventors independently creating hot air balloon technology in other parts of the world. Uh, one of the most controversial theories we heard regarding this uh, pertains to the Nazca lines, which are in the uh, in the southern hemisphere, right, South America. These gigantic uh, glyphs or, or rough shapes made out of stone. And, and these things are thousands and thousands of feet. Um, they're huge. On the ground, it doesn't appear that they are actually a thing except for, you know, a couple weird lines of stones. However, Scott, if someone were to be in a hot air balloon, then they would be easily able to say, oh, that's a person, that's a, you know, a deer, etc. Sure. And so one of the controversial ther- theories is that someone in that in that area in that civilization built hot air balloon technology. Yeah, because how else would they have that vantage point to design such a thing, right? I mean, right. That's, that's the the whole point is that you have to be able to see it in order to build it like that without having that understanding from the ground that, you know, and from the ground again it looks like nothing. Yeah, and of course the other the other theory is of course 
extraterrestrials or some sort. But that's a different what, show. But what if it's just natural, Ben? What if it's like, uh, you know, like when you look at the clouds and it's like, oh, that one looks like a clown or an ice cream cone yeah. or a bunny or something like that? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but uh, No, so, it's not likely. So we trace the... Um, uh, the the typical explanation you'll see is that we trace this kind of this kind of technology back to Paris in 1783. And then, if we want to uh, bring this forward into a couple of other bigger war, I don't know, I want to say bigger wars, maybe, but mm-hmm. other wars, World War One, World War Two. Of course, they were used during those. And I think we, I do think we touched on those in our airship episode. Uh, but do. they became more and more sophisticated as time went on. They became to, uh, you know, gradually morph into what we know as like the Zeppelin shape, the blimp shape, right? The thermal airship. The big difference between a typical hot air balloon, such as the kind used in the Civil War. And a uh, the Goodyear blimp that you might see outside of sports games and such is that a thermal airship is steerable. It is not at the mercy of errant winds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the big thing that drove this change would be uh, uh, propulsion and the ability to steer the thing. So they had a way to then you know drive it through the air and a way to control the height, you know, the the altitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, they became much more advanced, and they also began to carry. Um, more and more sophisticated equipment, as well as more and more. Uh, well, actually, for the first time, they began to carry, um, you know, means of uh, well, the armament. They came, they carried, um, uh, well, ammunitions or munitions. I should right, say. Right, right. They could carry bombs. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about. I, I feel like I already spoiled the coolest part. We already talked about deploying <laughs> these tiny planes. Yeah, but you know what? It, it's. Maybe the coolest part about those old time ones, right? And that is interesting. Right. And you know, the thing about the Akron, though, is that it uh, it eventually crashed. It it never made it to World War Two, so it yeah. never saw service in World War Two, obviously. And there was a, a, a pretty significant loss of life. I mean, I think there was like seventy three or seventy six crew members that were lost off the coast of New Jersey. I think it was yeah. back in nineteen thirty three. It was prior to World War Two. Anyway. Only three survivors. Yeah, and uh, just there's a, a pretty detailed account of you know what happened that evening. I think it was sent out in a thunderstorm, and there was some kind of, uh, there's some problems there, of course. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, it, it never made it to that, but there's still some fantastic film of that thing operating, and the, just the, man, the, the idea of flying a plane so close to it and trying to latch a hook underneath and then climbing on a ladder up into a Zeppelin. No pressure. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, it really we, should also, we, we should also talk about, um, without taking too much from our episode on the rise and fall of airships, we do, of course, need to mention that Airships, which were posed at one point to become, due to economy of scale, an affordable and common mode of international transport uh, because of several disasters that occurred and because of the potential for future disasters, uh, airships fell sharply out of favor uh, in across the planet. And, of course, we have to mention the Hindenburg and the volatile gas that was used in that, of course, you know, the hydrogen, uh, which is no longer the case or no, no longer necessary for these to, you know, to, to use that. It's just not uh, the way that they do it. They realize the danger in that. Right. And so, again, we covered this in that one. But I still, been to this day, I will still stumble across some stories that, you know, Boeing is experimenting with um airships as a form of transportation like a, a, a intercontinental form of transportation and i just wonder i wonder is that is that ever going to happen in our lifetime Are we ever going to see um you know boeing creating airships that people are going to want to get into that you know little gondola i'm yeah. sure it'll be very luxurious and it'll be you know everything that you know the best jets are now mm-hmm. only slower Right. And, uh, and noticeably slower. Yeah, and, and just enormous. I mean, these things are going to be gigantic. If you look at the photos of, you know, what they have, the, the concepts maybe, the ones that they've proposed, yeah. they're huge. Well, the, the real problem here is not engineering and it's not capacity. The problem, as everyone knows, is security. Mm-hmm. So these things are floating targets. No one has, up to this point, no one has invented a technology that will allow the the envelope, essentially the thing that holds the gas. Mm-hmm. No one has invented something that will allow that envelope to work the way it, an envelope needs to work, but then also be puncture resistant enough to withstand, let's say, a surface to air missile or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, which is which is terrible to talk about, but that's the reason. Uh, that's the reason why. 
you don't normally see airships over at Hartsfield Airport yeah, or at I mean, O'Hare. I, I guess this would also kind of take the place of maybe like a, a train, you know, like a scenic train ride. Yeah. Or, um, you know, maybe something like... Um, What's another slow, uh, relatively slow, but you get to see a lot? Oh, the bus, a I donkey. suppose. You know, bus, uh, bus. I guess you get to see a lot of the country. Yeah, the donkey transportation. Yeah, like sure. if you were riding a donkey. People do that. <laughs> a pack mule. Uh, but, so we, we give you all this preface because, as it turns out, the death of the airship has been somewhat exaggerated. And for several years... A new kind of airship has been on the rise, but quietly, very, very quietly. Yeah. And we're going to dive into that directly after a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And uh, Ben, you kind of teased us here with, uh, you know, there's been this quiet operation of uh, of, of a new sort of airship. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. what, what can we, ex- or what have, what have we been missing over the last few years? So, if you haven't been paying attention to the he- headlines, that is. <laughs> right, right, right. There were some headlines. There, there were uh, some famous headlines. Well, <laughs> there's one system that's come out called the Joint Land Attack Cruise Missile Defense Elevated Netted Sensor System, or J-Lens. Kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's poetry. Very simple. I like J-Lens better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the street name would be Spy Balloon. So <laughs> this is this is just like in the Civil War. This, this system is tethered, and it's designed to track boats, ground vehicles, cruise missiles, other aircraft, uh, etc., has four primary components. It's got two aerostats that are tethered, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that are. It's got arming, armored mooring stations, radars, and a processing station designed to communicate with these other warfare systems. So this this would be not an offensive weapon. This is able to see a lot. 
Yeah. And then con- communicate with another system. And this is happening at a place called the Aberdeen Proving Ground, which is northeast of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was built by defense contractor Raytheon. And, uh, again, you mentioned some of the stats of this thing, but it can fly up to 10,000 feet up in the air. So it's a, it's a significant yeah. height. And at that height... The radar system that it carries is able to see for 340 miles in any direction, which is that's pretty significant. That's a uh, that's a decent coverage, and if you were to, you can imagine if you were to space these appropriately, you'd be able to have some uh, excellent coverage I mean, right. across you know, nationwide if you wanted to, really. Right, and this uh, this program dates back to the mid 60s, but it also ha- is. <laughs> Okay, look, here's the thing about the Defense Department. I know, um, ladies and gentlemen, we know that a lot of you do work uh, in defense or in military-related fields, so you probably know more about this than we do. The thing is, when you're developing these kind of systems, there's definite um, rate of attrition. Not all of these are going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, into into every defense project, a little rain must fall. So... <clears throat> These have these have functioned well, but not without incident. And the incident, the headline that you're referring to, Scott, is one of the first times that a lot of people in the U.S. learned that blimps were still around. Yeah, because it was just kind of there on the base doing what it does in a quiet manner, right? I mean, unless you were in the program, you didn't really know what was happening. I mean, you probably saw this thing if you were, you know, local, if you were right in the Baltimore yeah, but area. I thought it was a, like everybody who thinks of blimps thinks of the Goodyear blimp, at least here in the U.S. Well, of course, yeah. And, and you know what? Honestly, the shape is not that far off from that. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, a caricaturized version of it. It's a great big, huge white blimp that, um, it, it looks, again, cartoonish maybe in, in the mm-hmm. way it's, I mean, even the fins look like they're, they're inflated. They're, it's a strange looking thing. It almost would be like a, so much fun. What do you call it? Like a big guppy maybe? Something like that? <laughs> is that, that's the, the design? It's, it's bigger at the front end mm-hmm. uh the gondola looks like uh it's really not a gondola it's more you know that's where the the stuff is held yeah you know the electronics and things but um what you're talking about ben is this incident that happened in october of 2015 and i would bet that people in maryland and pennsylvania know all about this because that's when <laughs> it broke free of its moorings yep and drug that that tether and the tether that we're talking about is uh, what is it made of it's made of um Oh, hang on a second. I'll, I'll find it here. But it's a it's a heavy duty tether, mm-hmm. and it drug that thing across two states for one. What is it? One hundred and sixty miles. Yeah. And it was just out of control. It was like it was. They couldn't stop it. You know, they couldn't. Sh- they didn't want to shoot it down because the thing's worth several and it, millions. Yeah, and it rose to sixteen thousand feet. They didn't want to shoot it down because it cost like a hundred and nine million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they had two fighter jets escort it. Yeah. <laughs> across this thing. Kevlar. That's what it is. These yeah. these tethers are made of Kevlar. So they're heavy duty tethers. Uh, tethers rather. And uh, it was dra- as it was dragging across. It was you know it was. Busting power lines along right, the way, right. and uh, there's some actually there's some really twenty thousand people lost power. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. I mean, I'm laughing about it, but it, it, that would be awful if that thing just you know raked across the power lines in your area, wouldn't it? To me, it's just uh, it's funny because it's like a very slow car chase. Well, that's what it, it, that's what it amounted to. But the thing is, like it, this produced some really incredible photographs. If you want to look at photographs from, uh, you know. People that were in that area on that day, you know, news crews or whatever, because they were tracking this thing over right. again, 160 miles. You got a long time when this thing is just floating overhead. So, you remember the the um, just the, the most picturesque scenery that we that we saw on a road rally? Yes, in in Pennsylvania. Uh huh. Imagine that, you know, with a barn and a, a nice field with maybe some, uh, you know, like maybe a little bit of fog on the on the uh, on the on the the ground there. Yeah. And then above that is this. Crazy-looking blimp floating at some odd angle, dragging its tethers across the you know the the, uh, the forest that's nearby. Uh, it's just a weird look, and they're, of course surrounded by police cars. You know, there's a lot of shots sure. that have ten or twelve police cars as they try to get from road to road and follow this thing. Um, here's here's one of the photos that I'm going to show you, but that that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. And there there are things like Amish buggies, you know, in the foreground with this <laughs> just kind of floating aimlessly behind it. So it made huge headlines in the area, and of course it caused a lot of damage. Um, and the military was pretty embarrassed about it. Right. The program was very, very close to being canceled. So oh, in yeah. this iteration, uh, this iteration of airship could have also gone the way of the Dodo or the Hindenburg. However, military sat down with, with Raytheon, I imagine, talked about Jalen's and they 
they worked out their uh, they worked out their concerns. They they figured out what happened, mm-hmm. which the uh, which was this: there was a malfunctioning pressure sensing device, and it caused a loss of air pressure in the tail fins, leading to a loss of aerodynamic efficiency. And combined with the wind drag, that exacerbated the tension on the tether and caused it to break. And there was one other critical point here is that there's a little bit of human error that was thrown into this mix as well. Mm. So what happened was there was supposed to be a, a system that would automatically deflate this thing if if something like what happened, if it broke the tether. If it, if it recognized that the tether is broken, there's a um, an electronic feature that, that would automatically deflate it. And um, so once, you know... <laughs> Before it ever got miles away from its from its mooring, it yeah. should have deflated. The problem was, you know, the human that was supposed to put the batteries in the system forgot to put the batteries in. Oh, and that was the problem. So, um, well, anyways, it, it led to some uh, you know some downed trees in in Pennsylvania and some power lines, as we heard, um, and you know, of course facepalm moment for uh, the, the military and uh, I guess well for NORAD too I mean that's the what North American Aerospace Defense Command yes and they had to monitor it the way that they <laughs> monitor Santa Claus every year yeah and I mean I, I suppose everybody was kind of like oh man this is just a, a black eye on the on the program however I think that they have said that they are going to uh, going to fund this program. Exactly, they're going to add some money to the uh, to mm-hmm. the because they they realize the benefit in it as well. Everybody makes mistakes, right? And they worked it they worked it out. Uh, Together, you know, Raytheon, the Jalen's team, and the military did the calculations, and they said, "Okay, yes, this was a huge embarrassment, but the ability to sense cruise missile technology at this level is worth the investment." And you know, omelet broken eggs. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: they've already invested. You know, at this point, when it broke free, they had already you know invested something like two point seven billion dollars into this Jalen's program, mm-hmm. and you know, they said, well, you know, we're going to continue to fund this because we know we're close to making this work. We're going to give you another $27 million to kind of uh, reboot these operational exercises that are happening at the Aberdeen um, uh, facility. And so it, it all works out in the end, I guess, but um, they have been cleared to fly again, so right. um, the program is underway once again. But but what a system this is, because if, if they can get this to work, and the, the idea to have it where it is right now, they're trying to test it in an area where they can say and of course you know, there's backups right now because it is is um it's a concept right now really i mean it's still right. at this point even but they're trying to as you said ben they're trying to track uh cruise missiles or drones or any other threats that might enter the the, the nation's capital area yeah and, and that can then be um extrapolated to to work for the rest of the the nation so they can put this on the coast they can put this wherever they want you know as many mm-hmm. places they want but with that 360 degree uh was it 340 mile in all directions, view. Right, uh, it's a pretty significant system. I mean, if it's if it's as good at you know um, uh, sensing these things as, as they say it is, uh, it's a, it's a great defense system. And again, these are entirely defense systems, as far as we know. These are surveillance systems that will communicate with. Uh, a system that has an offensive capacity, if necessary. Yeah, something, something, or someone that can take action. Right. This is really just a monitor. It's, now, a, it's an eye in the sky. Right. And these these high altitude uh, these high altitude systems are still, I think, um, still have the potential to be dangerous. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it in the uh, next part of the show. But there are clear and present and profound privacy concerns that these things that these things force us to consider yeah and uh, those will come up um, a little bit more in focus i guess maybe <laughs> right after a word from our sponsor you're a growing business which means you need every spare hour you can find that's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in slack Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. 
It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned, Scott, at the at the opening here, or right before we went to break, rather, we mentioned the privacy concerns. I want to step back just, just a little bit to establish something that I did not mention earlier. So we talked about the Jalen's program. Mm-hmm. However, the Jalen's program is not the only show in town. Uh, Israel also has a um, also has a system. And it is the Aeronautics Defense Skystar 300. Uh, this, this system is, is the same thing. It's an ISR system, intelligence, surveillance, target acquisition, reconnaissance. Again, no offensive capacity, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just surveilling and monitoring. And it's been, um, it's an unmanned aerial vehicle. Uh, so, it's been pretty successful in Israel. The Mexican government signed a deal to uh, get one for the Mexican federal police. Hmm. So this technology is being sold and spreading. Not a bad idea. But we know that in most cases, these are being used, um, I guess the best way to say it would be like by state-level actors confronting you know state-level threats, military stuff. But we know that the we know that the surveillance blimps are not just relegated to the world of the military now, right? No, in fact, we've taken this uh, this military application and used it in er, for very civilian use, I suppose. Uh, still, you know, it's still police use, of course, but it's uh, um, but it is being used in a, in a more everyday practical way, I guess, for for other things. And and one of those is something that we witnessed in Rio back in 2016. Uh, for the Olympics, of course, the Summer Olympics were held there, and this is a technology that was created by a company called Logos Technologies, L-O-G-O-S Technologies, and the system itself is called uh, Samara. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, S-I-M-E-R-A. And the way the system works is it's actually a series of four balloons that were requested, you know, by the, I don't know if it's the Olympic Committee or the, um, uh, the city itself that requested this for, for protection or what, but, um, it, it's what they call is an, an unprecedented level of security for the Olympics, and the way it works is that uh, these there are four balloons again that hovered above the city with uh, with the camera. As yeah. simple as that, right? Now these cameras are pretty sophisticated. We'll get to to what those offer in just a moment, but. Um, the guy that's in charge of this, his name is John Marion, and he's the president of Logos, and he's quoted as as saying that. We create a Google Earth view of the city and update it every single second. So we store every single thing that we we capture on the on the camera, and we can go through it like TiVo, so they can back it up, they can re, you know watch it whenever they want. But that's not the best part of this thing. Samara, the the system again called Samara, combines a wide angle view with the ability to zoom in on any point at will. The operator can open up as many zoom windows as necessary to follow events on the ground with 
enough detail to track vehicles and people while still getting the big picture from its 13 cameras. So I think that's just, I, I think what they're saying is one balloon is carrying 13 cameras. So I believe. It, and now they're four times that watching the city. So it's uh, also the ultimate extension of picture-in-a-picture technology. Do you remember that, how that used to be a big deal with TVs? <laughs> yeah, I do. And, I've, I, you know, I've had that on every television since, and I don't think I ever use it, ever. You know, I honestly don't know if my – I have honestly never checked if my television can do that. You know, before <laughs> – or when that became a thing, uh-huh. I had a friend – he's a funny guy. This guy he – it was the old televisions, you know, the big boxy ones, yeah, the, the yeah, tube, the cathode, yeah, yeah, the tube, tube TVs. Yeah. <laughs> he had two TVs that he'd stack on top of each other. He called it picture on picture, <laughs> and he watched. He would have two two different stations yeah. going, like two, you know, baseball games or whatever it was, you know, uh-huh. picture on picture. I thought it was clever. I, th- I think yeah. that's a good idea. <laughs> I guess I, I get, that got really heavy though. You know, like it'd have to be the smaller TV on top, like a stack, but. You well, know. yeah. Well, you got to put some thought into I, something. I guess. Well, I mean, it's a, worth doing. Okay. Anyways, back to the uh, the main story here. Um, it says it, this guy goes on to say that although it captures sev- uh, gigabytes of data every single second, the operator only has to see a tiny fraction of it. So uh, they they're looking. The person who's monitoring what's ha- whatever's happening is seeing about one ten thousandth of what's available on the screen at the time. So it, it's hard to really picture this, maybe, but. There's this enormous picture, like picture it the size of your wall. Okay. And that's an extremely high definition. You can zoom into any point of that you want and watch. You can, you can identify a person, you know, from whatever altitude this is, 10,000 feet or whatever. Yeah. You can then zoom into that tiny little corner, but everything else in that picture continues to record. So you can then later go back and zoom in on something that's completely on the other side of town and watch what's going on there. You can track people with this. It's, it's really remarkable. So, you know, a human can only watch one area at a time, but since everything is stored, it, it's this invaluable forensic evidence, I guess, that's left over behind that you're able to just use this footage for whatever you want. Now, the, the thing that probably the, the, the craziest thing about this is you would think it would be this enormous setup, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the reality is it's about 40 pounds. That's, that's how much the instruments weigh. So getting it up in the air is really not an issue at all. It's 40 pounds of weight. Uh, to get the Samara system, um, and, and they were able to monitor the entire city of Rio during the 2016 Olympics using this system. How did it pan out? I, I guess it worked fine. I mean, I, we didn't hear of any um, incidents because, tethers. well, there was some real concern over, um, you know, IEDs and things like that, right. and, you know, terrorist attacks and Which all that. An improvised explosive. Device. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, the thing is, he he had another version of this, and this is, you know, again, this is like the um, uh, the uh, the evolution of the system, I suppose. Um, Wham which is WAMI, which stands for Wide Area Motion Imagery, isn't anything new. In fact, this guy has been working on something called Constant Hawk for a long time at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, and he had trouble, you know, finding people that would support his idea up until this point. You know, when he finally got it kind of out into the public, and he said he spent a lot of time going around Washington saying that, you know, here's why you need this and why. And it wasn't until. Um, you know that this type of threat that we talked about, you know, like the threat that we were thinking of for the Olympics that that might have happened, no one really paid attention. Um, his example, I guess, maybe for this one, he said, you know, the way I could really sell this to you know the Olympic Committee was say, let's just say that you know there was a bombing, you know, something happened there in the city of Rio. It doesn't matter where, you know, what venue or anywhere. The the analysts could go backwards in the footage and see where the car came from and where the driver went afterwards. So right. if there was one of these improvised explosive devices, they could spot the people that that actually laid this bomb out, you know, wh- exactly when and where they did it or how they did it. And then they could also um, figure out who is the trigger man for the device because that's going to be the person that's casually walking away from the uh, from the bombing. And, and that's easy to spot on this thing because you've got this enormous view. So it's really it's an incredible thing, but, you know, being able to track somebody, you know, forward and backward in time, you can use this technology to locate um, safe houses, you know, of insurgents or you know anything that you want. You can you can just track just just about anything and see license plates. You can see faces of people. It's clear enough to identify somebody. And uh, and hey, of course, you know, we don't know if that can be used in you know court of law or anything right now. But uh, I bet we'll find that out in the near future, in the next couple of years, probably. And we're also <clears throat> we're also going to find out about other types of airship applications for surveillance. Here's something that we should we should mention is um, 
we've already said that these are by far not the only game in town. The United Kingdom is working on its own version, uh, and you've, you'll see stuff like the, the Dragon Dream, which is an elliptical, uh, lighter than air ship currently in a manufacturing uh, process or limbo. They built a prototype and a half-scale proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, airships are going to be a big deal because in many ways they have they have a versatility in terms of payload that a lot of other aircraft would not have. How so? I'm glad you asked. Well, take the, uh, take the HAV-304, the, the Airlander 10. The Airlander 10, which is a, a UK project, has uh, a different, it has a mix of payloads. So they can put in ground moving target indication radar, sort of like what was happening at Rio. They can also do infrared sensors, electro optical sensors, uh, so detecting um, electrical activity, uh, blue force tracking, signals intelligence, electronic countermeasures, which is uh, a little bit closer to something effective or something like um, slightly offensive because that's essentially a, a way to trick or deceive radar. Now, this is something that uh, that uh, John Marion was describing as, uh, I think he called it smart surveillance cameras or smart surveillance software, maybe, um, because the, the, the cameras that I was talking about sound similar in the way that, that, you're, t- that, that you're talking about or you're describing in that... Um, they, they help you spot the bad guys because there are certain actions that they take that are that are noted that are that are um, um, you know known to law enforcement. They say you know here uh, you know this guy's lingering in this area a little bit too long. Right. This vehicle's moving in uh, this fashion, and we know that that's typical of somebody who is doing you know this is involved in this activity. Um, so it's really interesting how they can identify potentially suspicious behaviors by just kind of. Um, Flagging these these known behaviors and then looking for that in this enormous picture, and they're able to find it. They really are able to find it, and it's it's clever. It's it's so clever, and and they've well, that, that's probably an obvious statement, but um, they found also with these cameras, and I don't know if this is the same with the one that you're describing, but they found that there's a an optimum number of pixels for the resolution, the correct resolution. You would think it would be. You know, billions. The more pixels, the more sure. better, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's not the case. They found that there's kind of a sweet spot with several million pixels. They won't tell you exactly, you know, what the resolution is. Right. But billions is not as good as millions in this case. And you would think that that would be the opposite. You think you'd always want more in the, in that situation. But um, another use, spend, and if I'm not going too far away from what you're sure, talking sure. about, is that police think that they can use this for. Um, Capturing people that are involved in like high speed chases and things like that, you know, like when. So have you ever seen like maybe an episode of Cops or something like oh, that, yeah, or you yeah, know, yeah. or you read about this in the paper, or whatever. But let's say the the car stops and four or six people jump out of a car. You know, they're involved in some, uh, let's say, a, a bank theft or something. And scattered to the winds. Yeah, they go everywhere, right? And and sometimes they catch everybody. Sometimes mm-hmm. when one or two get away, sometimes all of them get away. In this situation, if you had one of these systems monitoring this, you'd be able to catch all six almost immediately because it can coordinate, you know, with the ground effort in order to capture them in real time. It's not something they have to watch, um, you know, watch it taped. They can, if they're monitoring this, it can happen right then. It can happen in, in real time. So this leads us to, as we said, the the larger concerns. This type of aircraft can be a tremendous asset when it comes to security, right, and being able to monitor threats and hopefully stop, prevent them from occurring. Oh, right? sure. It's an incredible tool. However, like any other technology, it can it can have its dark side as well. Yeah. And privacy advocates are very concerned that these airships and other similar craft could be used to track individuals by generating radar geolocation data and correlating it with stuff like traffic cameras or cell phone metadata. Mm-hmm. And a spokesperson for the Army, at least in the case of Jalen's, said it will not have video cameras, nor will it collect personally identifiable information. Oh, okay, so that one's just a, uh, a radar. That one's just like, yeah, That's sensing a radar missiles. Sensing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now and it says primary mission is to track airborne objects, secondary to track surface moving objects such as vehicles or boats. It can't track individual people. Yeah. You know what this vaguely reminds me of? 1984. The, well, the ca- <laughs> now the cameras that were first installed at intersections where uh, they claim they were just a blind camera that would just count uh, like a almost oh, yeah. like a, a like a blip on the screen, like uh, just for traffic monitoring uh, you know, reasons to, right. to just 
determine how many vehicles were going through an intersection. It wasn't so much to catch somebody running a red light, because those we know are video cameras. Mm -hmm. But the early ones, people were so worried about those that they were, you know, watching whatever they're doing in the car from above. When really it was just simply a uh, just like a, a counter, really it was just counting like one blip, two blips, three blips. Yeah, it was an automation of this is something you may you may have seen, folks. Uh, if you, well, if you're not very young, you know I I am old enough to remember uh, the civil engineers who would sit at intersections with yeah. the little clickers in a lawn chair, uh huh, yeah. and just count the cars. Yeah, sure. I just, I didn't know it was that guy's job. I thought he was just weird. <laughs> he just had some kind of OCD problem. He's just hanging out, hanging out there counting cars, like only blue cars. Yeah, only blue cars. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Red yeah. cars are for the but, birds. But you see where it progressed to. It did, pro- it did progress to what the people had feared, that it was good, that it progressed to the video cameras that were then, yes, watching what you're doing, but, you know, Okay, so mainly for uh, you know, license plates and, and running red lights. But sure. can I just point out one more quick thing? Yeah, I know yeah, this yeah. is rambling now yeah, at this no, point, please. but do you know that we talked we talked about that I eighty five fire and the bridge collapse? Uh huh. I heard something a little bit startling on the news the other day about this. What's that? They said that, and I had a hard time understanding. I'm going to have to look this up and double check, but okay. I think I heard that that fire damaged thirty cameras that are used by the the Atlanta police. Now, 30 cameras. Now, okay, that's what I thought. Now, you had the same reaction that I have. It's not a huge area. It's a big section of bridge. Like maybe, uh, what? I think they're, they're going to replace something like 700 feet of bridge. It's a big area. I mean, as far as like a bridge goes. 30 cameras though. Well, that's what I heard. Now, now, do you think, do you think the number was 13 and I heard 30? Or, I mean, even so, 13 cameras in that area? But I think I heard 30 cameras. Yeah, I want to check into that. And, and we know they're around, but we don't know. Where and what they focus, and I on. wonder if that also has to do with you know if they're maybe they're fiber optic or something, and you know they, they, if if you know the line is severed, then you have to you know replace the line that goes to oh, all of them or I something see. like yeah, that. So maybe yeah. it's maybe it's more about the connection and not the actual hardware itself. But I, I could see there being cameras there because that bridge was a storage space in violation of code. By the yeah, way, sure. Well, for, okay. for a lot of equipment. Okay, but but okay. Again, we're way off topic. I'm sorry, yeah. but but the number was astounding, and I'm gonna, you know, check that again when we leave the podcast today. And but, would a blimp have helped? So because I, it's under the bridge. So I'm sorry, I, I've thrown us off track here, but you're, you're talking about the main question that I had at the very end of this podcast, and if you got more to add, please do, Ben. But yeah. but the main question, I guess, we have for our listeners, and for I suppose you and I, we can think about this sure. maybe. It comes down to security versus privacy, right? You want to be secure. You want people to monitor what's going on. You want them to protect you, sure. Mm-hmm. But how much are you willing to give up in, in your privacy? How much are you willing to give up in your, your private life to have that kind of uh, um, protection? You know, somebody watching over your right. shoulder to say, yeah, you're okay. But then again, there's somebody watching over your shoulder. And here's another problem. Can you, and this is open it's open to to anyone folks can you name a time that the US government has had the capability to collect more information require more power and stepped away from it for ethical concerns now i see a single time now usually it, it it's a progressive thing where it steps up a little bit and up mm-hmm. a little bit more and then what salesmen call the foot in the door strategy yeah there's an incident of some kind they say well we need we need to do this right now so let's pass legislation that allows us to do that whatever it is and it just gets a little bit more invasive and more invasive as time goes on and as we've talked about uh, in previous episodes another thing that is frequently true is this technology the evolution of technology typically outpaces the evolution of legislation. Yeah. We make laws after we figure out what our new toys can do. Yeah, what it's capable of, right? Right. And yeah. uh, and just hope it doesn't fall into the wrong hands prior to that happening. But then again, if can it's re- if it's going to happen, legislation's not going to stop it from happening. Scott, can you imagine <laughs> Are we are we looking at a future filled with uh, evil blimp tycoons and masterminds? <laughs> yeah, people that know everything about everyone, but they but they own a hundred zeppelins. I still want I still want to ride yeah, one so much. Crazy. Uh, so this concludes our episode, our our exploration on the future of airships. Yeah, and uh, I mean, fine if they're being used for protection, right? I mean, but sure. but what point do we decide that? 
Yeah, maybe uh, maybe it's a little bit too invasive for us. So that's that's the question we have for you. You know, this the security versus privacy thing. Write in and tell oh, us yeah. if you think that you know the blimps have gone too far. We've gone too far. You know, progress <laughs> is fine, but yeah. you know, enough is enough. Is there is this a legitimate concern or is it a bunch of hot air? Uh, oh, I like it so bad. Yeah. Is that the uh, first time we've used that? Uh, that we got so far through this yeah. podcast without doing a hot air. I, think joke. I said something about in focus. In focus, you yeah, did. there was that. That was good. Uh, hmm. Yes, let's grade each other's. Yeah. I don't know. I guess there was jokes on. You air. know, there, there should have been way more puns in this episode. Yeah, there really uh, should have been. Ah, uh, ship, we missed it. <laughs> Can we get away with that one? That was probably the best one. That was terrible. Write in and let us know some better airship puns because obviously we could use the help. And we have to do one more thing. We needed to give people some nicknames. So you had Shift and Tristan. Let's go with Dylan Hot Air Fagan. Dirigible. Dylan Dirigible Fagan. Oh, Dirigible. Did I mispronounce it? I, Zeppelin? No, it doesn't rhyme, though. I uh, like I like the... Um, I like Dylan Dirigible. I like the alliterative nature of that one. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Dirigible. <clears throat> and I'll get it right next time. Yes. Yeah. In our next airship episode. <laughs> or maybe we can just call him dirigible around the office. And why not? Uh, so let us know, uh, what you think about the rise of the, the rise of these surveillance aircraft. And are they overall a good thing or a bad thing? As we have said in previous episodes, are you for it or against it? I got one more. Tristan, the all seeing eye. Oh. Wow, that's that's pretty good. I don't know. That's pretty long. I mean, you can't really put that on a jersey, you know. He's laughing. I think yeah. he's got a jersey. Oh, well. that he can fit it on. Or no, he should get a blimp, and you can put put the name on the blimp. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? Blimps are now my solution to every life yeah. problem. Yeah. You know, you could buy an RC blimp pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the same. Well, they fly them over, uh, you know, like in sporting events in the yeah. arenas, and they drop things with you know the little servo motors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, coupons, or you know, in whatever. I mean, uh, souvenirs of some kind. I want to be team. in the blimp. I used to want to live in an RV, and now I want to live in a blimp. Live in a blimp, really? Yeah. Wasn't even on the movie. Okay, we're getting way off topic again. We should wrap this up. <laughs> you ever watched the movie Up? Uh, I have not seen it. Is there an evil character that lives in the uh, Zeppelin? Well, then I have found a role model, I and I will watch. Is. Up. I think there is. Yeah, you should. In, in the, I hear the first ten minutes of that are really sad. Yeah, you can skip that if you don't want to. <laughs> Just go fifteen it. minutes in. Yeah, then then it's a happier movie. So. We are we are heading off. Uh, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Car Stuff HSW. You can also write to us directly if you have ideas for something you think your fellow listeners would like to learn more about, or if you happen to be a blimp tycoon. Well-meaning or ill-intentioned, that's fine. I'm just into this blimp tycoon thing. Write to us directly. We are car stuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.